0: Today on Blue 58, there is real, actual football happening in Green Bay. Let's sort through the biggest stories from camp so far and see if there are any areas of concern. Then the Packers have real opportunities for growth on the edge of their defense. But who is going to step up? And should we be concerned about regression, there's that word again, from some of their biggest names. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. happy to be with you here for another episode. And what an episode it is because we get to talk about real stuff going on in Green Bay. So here's how this is going to work. I'm going to breeze through a couple things from the, the first couple practices here and before we get into a couple bigger topics on the back half of the show here. So the first and most important thing I think we have to talk about that's come out of these first three Packers practices, as of this recording, they've had their their first practice on Saturday, they had an unpadded practice on Monday, the practice on Saturday, of course, without pads as well, and then they had their first padded practice today, Tuesday, the day that we are recording. The biggest storyline, I think, to come out of this so far is that Kenny Clark has a new contract extension ultimately a four-year, $70 million extension, $25 million signing bonus. Looks like a pretty good deal for both Clark and the Packers. If you follow Ken Ingalls on Twitter, I would recommend it. He is all over the cap-related stuff, and he should be. He's a CPA, so if you can trust anybody on how money is moving in Green Bay, I would think it would probably be him. His best guess at how the extension is going to break down is basically $37 million in new money paid over the first two years. That would be a big chunk of that signing bonus, salary, roster bonuses, per-game bonuses, and things like that. That's basically how the Packers break down their contracts, to be sure, or uh, as a rule, as a general rule. The real rub here is going to be cap numbers, as, uh, as always is the case. Ken's projection would put his cap number starting in 2021 at about 15.5 million dollars, jumping up slowly to 19.6 million dollars for the 2024 season. That doesn't strike me as terribly unusual or unreasonable for Clark for the Packers because I think even if the pack, if the cap goes down here in the in the short term, it's going to continue to go up uh, in the longer term. And the Packers should probably have some room to work on. And the number, the $175 million number that has gone around as far as where the cap could be next spring, that is a worst case scenario. So there's no guarantee that's actually going to be what the situation is. So I I wouldn't get too hung up on that just yet, necessarily wrecking all the Packers financials. Now, it, it could go down that low. And if it does, there's going to be real problems, not just for the Packers, but for a bunch of teams around the league. Uh, Philadelphia is in real tough shape as far as the cap goes, whether there is a cap drop or not. Uh, But I I wouldn't get too hung up on that in the short term as far as like Kenny Clark's contract extension or other deals that the Packers are going to have to get worked out, namely David Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones, just for two. But uh, for the short term, the Packers have Kenny Clark wrapped up and they've continued their tradition of trying to get at least one big deal done before camp Almost every year, so good deal for the Packers, good deal for Clark, and I'm glad we don't have to talk about him playing something somewhere else in uh, in the relatively near future. That was never going to happen, but at least we don't even have to talk about it as a hypothetical. So that is good. The other thing that uh, is a smaller note, but I thought it was worth bringing up was that Tyler Irvin has been working with the wide receivers a little bit here through the first couple practices so far. Now I don't think this would indicate a full position switch. But this does remind me of something that we talked about when we did our running backs positional preview. In that, uh, it shows how differently different running backs can be used. The Packers use their running backs differently. That's not a big revelation. Every, Every team does, but it's a good thing to be reminded of because of how guys are used when they're on the field. So Irvin was the subject of four plays last year. One carry, four targets, Five total plays. 80% of those five plays were passes, and his passes were almost exclusively deep downfield. His average depth of target last year was around 15 yards. The Packers were sending him deep downfield, finding ways to use his speed to open up the defense for the rest of the offense. And I think that is how the Packers can use Irvin best, whether it's as a receiver whether it's as a running back, just getting him on the field is a good thing. So that's what encourages me the most about seeing him get involved with the running backs out there. So that was an interesting note. This is the first big thing I wanted to talk about. First big concern coming out of camp for me so far, at least. It's on the offensive line. There is some good stuff, I think, going on here. First, the Packers seem to have two legitimate backups behind Corey Lindsley, And this is something I've been obsessed with for a couple of years now. The Packers, the last couple seasons, have gone into the season with no real experience on their roster behind Corey Linsley. And if something would happen to go wrong there, they've got nobody who can step up and fill in, or that was the case at least for the past couple seasons. Now, with Corey Lindsley not practicing today in the first padded practice, the Packers had not one, but two options to replace him. Potentially even a third. Now that I think it off the top of my head, they have Jake Hansen, one of their draft picks from this year. They have Lucas Patrick, and they also have Elton Jenkins. Matt LaFleur said a lot of nice things about both Patrick and Jenkins and their ability to fill in for Corey Lindsley, both of whom did today. And that's got to be a good feeling if you're concerned about the interior of the Packers offensive line at all. Throw in Jake Hansen, a guy who played a lot of reps at center for Oregon over the past few years, and you've got a pretty stable position there, both this year and in the future as you start looking at some some cap numbers down the road. Corey Lindsley is a, a guy whose name has come up as potentially being on the outs in Green Bay. That's a problem for a different day. But in the short term, we at least see they have some options behind him. The concerning thing here is what's happening on the right side of the Packers' offensive line. So they've got their guards, they've got their tackles, but it doesn't seem clear at this point who is doing what on the right side of the offensive line. Reading the tea leaves in people's reports from the first two days of camp, it seems like the Packers have not one but two positions open on the right side of the offensive line. Just watching how the Packers are rotating Rick Wagner, Billy Turner, and Lane Taylor all into the mix at both guard and tackle, Taylor not stepping in so much at tackle, but I think you get the drift there. It seems like both of those spots are up for grabs. That should be, I think, fairly concerning. Any year where you're going into a season turning over 40% of your offensive line is a suboptimal situation. Ideally, you're not turning over any parts of your offensive line from year to year. You've got, or at least you've got stable backups ready to step in who've been there for a while, and I think the Packers are building towards that with some of the stuff they did in the draft this spring. But for right now, they've got two significant openings on their offensive line. And they haven't really taken any steps to stabilize that with veteran help. They've brought Wagner in as the nominal replacement for Brian Bulaga, but he's hardly a sure thing. He's been injured a lot the last couple years, and he's been a little bit inconsistent. In fact, lost his job last year. Billy Turner, meanwhile, gave up an absolutely ridiculous number of sacks at guard, no less, and now the Packers are talking about moving him out in space at tackle. Turner talked about that a little bit today. He said that the Packers had actually approached him as kind of being a guard-tackle hybrid from the moment he was in the running as a potential free agent signing, which I guess from one perspective is good. But you'd rather, I think, have him just at one position and feel good about him there. This is a potential huge trouble spot for the Packers. This season, and for the foreseeable future as they try to shore up that side of the line. If one of those guys would happen to get injured, it gets even worse. Lucas Patrick can step in at guard, sure, but tackle is the really big problem. I don't know how good you feel about either Turner or Wagner at right tackle. So that is the storyline that I'm going to be watching very closely. Related to this, at the thepowersweep.com, we now have live two more stats pages for you, one of which is penalties and sacks per 65 snaps. One of the stats that we track here, one of our custom stats that we track at thepowersweep.com. I've linked to it in your show notes. You can get a good visual representation of how some of the biggest names on the Packers offensive line have been performing year in and year out. You can see David Bakhtiari had a big trouble spot last year his worst year since 2016, even well before then. Um, but it, I think it's good to see this stuff all graphed out. You can see how players compare to each other. You see how interior alignment tend to do a little bit better than than guys on the edge and where the Packers should be potentially concerned. So check that out. See if that makes uh, that number click anymore for you. Um, good to see Corey Lindsley still pretty solid year over year. So uh, that'll be another fun one to track this year, and, and we'll be sure to update you on that throughout the year. The other one relates to our edge rushers, and that's where I wanted to spend a good portion of our time today, because I wanted to take a second to preview the Packers edge rushers. The Packers spent a lot of money last spring upgrading their edge rusher group. They've asked, they've, they've done, finally, what I've asked the Packers to do for years and years and years, I guess partially because of what we saw from the Denver Broncos way back in 2013-14-15 during their Peyton Manning run. They really weren't so much fueled by Manning, especially late in that run as they were really carried along by an excellent defense where they had two really dynamite edge rushers in Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware. And I've really hoped for the Packers to do something similar over the balance of the time that we've we've been podcasting for you, even even longer than that. I've always wanted the Packers to have just a really, really elite pass rushing group. Well, now they have it. They've spent a lot of money, two big free agents in Zedarius and Preston Smith, and they spent a very high draft pick on another one in Rashawn Gary. And the results were pretty good. I think they were, they were about as good as you could possibly hope for from Rashawn Gary. For, well, not, not so much from Rashan Gary, but from uh, Zedarius Smith and Preston Smith. They seem to help the defense a lot. Now they've got to do it again. And whether or not they can do it again is one of the big questions I have about the Packers' edge rushers this year. If you look at how Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith have done over time, they've been fairly consistent throughout their NFL careers. And both of them saw big jumps in their production ratio stats, their sacks and tackles for loss per game last year, which leads me to believe there is a chance for a regression here. That's not to say both of them will be worse, but maybe don't expect the same big stats from Zedaria Smith or Preston Smith or both in 2020. Why do I think that? Well, here's why. Let's talk about production ratio for a second. This is Sacks plus tackles for loss divided by games played. That is your production ratio. For a good production ratio, you should be over 1.0. The higher, the better. Last season, Zedaria Smith clocked a production ratio of 1.91. That is the best total of any Packers edge rusher who has played all 16 games in a season since 1999. That's as far back as we can go because tackles for loss only became an official stat that year. But in 20 years of looking at this stat, nobody has been better than that. Clay Matthews had a 2.33 in 2012 and a 2.1 in 2010, but he didn't play all 16 games both of those years. Zedarius Smith put up the best best stat line at least in terms of this number that anybody has in 20 years i think there's good reason to think that he can't do that again that's not to say he'll be bad but it's hard to put up that level of production maybe he's close maybe he's at like a 1.7 or something like that but the packers need more people to step up and i think there's a good chance preston smith could just pick up a little bit of the slack if a little bit more of the offensive line or blocking schemes tilt towards Zadarius Smith, I think Preston Smith is the, the likely beneficiary there. But it can't just be him, and that's the other big question around edge rushers. If Zedarius and Preston Smith decline, or even if they just don't play as much as they did last year because they put on a ton of snaps last year, who steps up? Rashawn Gary is kind of a given. He's going to get first crack at this thing. And I would have to think, as the 12th overall pick, even if he's an absolute bum early in the season, the Packers are going to give him every possible chance to take himself off of the field. Right? He's going to have to be real bad before they take him out of a game again because they're not going to have another 200-snap season from the 12th overall pick. You might as well trade him or cut him at that point if you're not going to play him that much. So somebody else has to be in there. We've talked about that a little bit in the past, but I think we can get a little bit better idea of who's a realistic possibility as the Packers' fourth edge rusher here. I think there are four realistic options. Maybe five, if you really twist my arm. Greg Roberts, Randy Ramsey, Jonathan Garvin, Delonte Scott, and Tim Williams. I really struggle with Williams a little bit because he just couldn't get on the field last year. He couldn't really get on the field when he was with Baltimore a whole lot, he just wasn't productive there. But I think if you really wanted to push, it, you could say he's in that group. There's a lot to like about each of these four, even five guys, but I really want to focus on the first four there. Greg Roberts has just stereotypical size. He's in that mold of kind of a zadarius Smith, more of a hand-on-the-ground type edge guy, but athletic, athletic enough to play in space. Randy Ramsey is kind of the flip side there. He can do a little bit of everything, uh, athletically versatile, can play off the ball, can play as a, a stand-up edge, probably isn't going to do a lot of inside rushing, but he has the, the athletic ability to move just about everywhere else. Jonathan Garvin is raw, but he has... Great athleticism, was very productive in college and in some relatively limited exposure, but still. And then you've got Delante Scott, who's both athletic and productive. One of those four guys is going to get a real opportunity here. If I had to rank him, I would say Garvin is probably the leader right now, followed by Ramsey just for versatility. Greg Roberts is losing out on some very valuable opportunities here, uh, but he could be in the mix here too. I would put him kind of behind those first two. And then Delonte Scott is kind of the wild card. Tim Williams, just for his familiarity, for him having been around the team for a while, I think has that going for him. But I think if you're looking at upside and realistic shot of being productive, it's one of those four. And there are going to be some real opportunities here. And there are some real vulnerabilities here too. Like we talked about with defensive line last week, things could get real bad here for the Packers if one of these guys happens to get injured for a significant amount of time, even a short amount of time, changes what you do on defense dramatically. And I'm very interested as well to see how the Packers secondary works with this group again. If the Packers aren't quite as good on the back end this year, can this group still put up the numbers that they do? If the Packers secondary is even better this year, in year two of the scheme for some of these guys, in year three for the of the scheme for a few others, in year two is a group for Jair Alexander and Kevin King and Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos, Will this group up front be even better? I think that's a possibility too, especially if Rashawn Gary takes a bit of a step. And let's talk about Rashawn Gary for a second. He says his weight is about the same as last year, but he's leaned out a little bit. So he dropped a little bit of fat, added a little bit of muscle. Don't get too hung up on the the body fat type stuff. Most of that is bunk. Um, Just like five minutes of research can tell you that most of these guys' body fat estimates are way off. Anybody who says they have single-digit body fat is either lying or mistaken uh, because that's like professional bodybuilder type stuff. Not saying it's impossible, it just seems a little bit unlikely. Um, But be that as it may, he does look like he's in a little bit better shape, and you can see that even from social media posts about practice and things like that. If Rashawn Gary can give you 500 quality snaps this year. I think that's a win for him. Quality snaps is a little bit nebulous, but let's say 500 snaps and a production ratio of, I don't know, 0.75 to 0.9, five tackles for loss or five sacks, another eight tackles for loss or something like that in 16 games. You could live with that as your third edge rusher, and then maybe if stuff gets really weird with the cap from then on out, you you go with a, a big bigger role for him even moving forward. But you want to see him take a step. He's done the, f- the first thing right. Even if talking about being in the best shape of your life is a cliche, that's what you want to hear from people. So let's see what he does being in better shape. He's going to get opportunities because the Smiths aren't going to play that same workload again. Let's see what he does with them. Hope you're enjoying practice. Hope you're enjoying seeing the Packers back on the field a little bit. I know it was, it was heartening to me to see that stuff coming across my social media feeds. Uh, just seeing pictures of practice is good, even if things are a little bit different. I don't know what I'm going to do as far as the stuff I'm writing for Acme Packing Company. A lot of the stuff I've been doing lately is just kind of boilerplate stuff guys have news conferences after, after practice or whatever. But if, if that is of interest to you, maybe I'll start posting those links at thepowersweep.com. Otherwise I'm, you can obviously find them at acne, com. If, if you've got time, I would advise you to, to listen in on these guys and, and, and Matt LaFleur speaking for yourself and really try to sort through these storylines on your own. I think that that makes you a more informed fan and, and you can really get some, some good stuff out of it. Um, getting it unfiltered. One of the stories that I I noticed since uh, I wrote about Kevin King's press conference the other day was how quickly the media, capital M, will uh, manufacture a story around a relatively innocuous comment. And Kevin King had a good one the other day. Somebody asked him, it was kind of a a little bit of a leading question, if he thought the Packers had two number one cornerbacks on their roster or that that he felt he was actually the number one. It was Jair, Jair Alexander that was number two. And he, he just kind of looked at the, the cameras like, I, I guess. Like I, we don't really think about it that way. But for, for two days, all I saw for, for headlines about that story, about that press conference, was how Kevin King said that the Packers had two number one corners. That's not really what happened. Listen for yourself if you got the opportunity, and you can decide on those stories. So I want to do a better job of sharing some of that audio with you here in the near future. Um, and our, our new setup is going to allow us to do, do some more of that. So, uh, check out that stuff. It's a real unique opportunity to get it straight from a primary source. Um, and, uh, I would, I would recommend doing that. It makes you a more informed fan. Hey, perfect segue too, because smarter Packers fans are what we're, we're trying to be. Uh, Cause as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. So I've got for you on this episode. We'll see you next time on blue 58.